I'm Andrew Junker with French Press, and this is Why We Do This. Episode 25 of Why We Do This. I'm really excited about this episode for several reasons. Um, One of which being that this gets us uh, a little more current in the conversations. So this one was recorded this year uh, after, you know, playing several backlogged recordings. I thought it would be good to uh, throw in a uh, more recent one. It's also, uh, this episode features Sean Wells. Sean is a uh, freelance colorist and also just all-around filmmaker and creator and uh, somebody who really values uh, collaboration and sort of creating uh, community and sort of uh, support systems for other filmmakers and artists. Um, Sean's done color on a lot of projects that uh, I've directed and also that French Press has produced, um, including a film that we just uh, finished uh, post-production on, Paper Birds, which a lot of you I know are following. So hopefully you'll be excited to know that uh, we have passed a significant milestone uh, with this film and are starting to take it into uh, the uh, the festival realm, and uh, it's it's likely that uh, in the very near future, um, a lot of people who have supported it and followed it will be able to uh, see the film out in the world uh, in one way or another. I also think it's really just interesting to hear from a colorist because I think it's a role that is not always fully understood and for anybody who's outside of the you know film and production world uh hopefully it'll be really interesting to kind of get get a peek back behind the curtain and see some of that you know what what potentially can look like invisible process so we begin the conversation uh not quite how he got into filmmaking but uh more how he sort of started uh, kind of finding this sense of community building and uh, and you know this this idea of creating that uh, artist sort of uh, community space. My mom and dad were like the we were on a basketball team, but they were like the basketball parents. We had like a really shitty RV that my dad would throw the whole team in and we'd go. And so my house has always been a hub for all my friends. I'm a only child. So I think maybe it was a little bit of that, like bringing my siblings in a way to me. But that's that's always been, um, when I started working at Lucasfilm, we were, oh, we had, it's like a pretty similar, uh, like the age wasn't that range. So it was like a lot of 20 somethings up there. First like real job, like a bunch of nerds that like studied really hard at college and then finally got a job that allowed us to like kind of have fun and be ourselves a little bit. Like, oh wait, I think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And then that's when I started like, I had always been DJing, but I really started creating like these spaces for parties and like things to get to know each other even more. So we'd have like, you know, for a couple birthday parties, we had like 200 people there between coworkers and friends of coworkers and uh, everybody's boyfriends and girlfriends and everything. Like this big party wherever we went, 
that me and a couple other people would kind of DJ and we had a VJ, like we had, you know, people using touch designer, which is basically Houdini for effects that instead of doing it for an animated series, they did it for a DJ set. Hmm. And so we had so much fun. Like every time we did a show, we kind of upped the AV and integration and stuff. And that guy went on to work for Obscura Digital um, just because he got so good at using that uh, software, which is like that whole studio is based on. So um, yeah, just kind of all mixes in, but that was another thing that I like to try to bring people together and, you know, see what comes of it. So it's really interesting because I know you as doing a lot of post work, Mm. which uh, editorial, and I even personally, I think of color Mm -hmm. work as being very isolating. Mm -hmm. And you're like in a dark room by yourself or with a couple other people, depending on, you know, what the scope of the project is. and. Uh, do you see it that way or do you see it as being something that's, that, that isn't so isolating? Oh, it's, it's definitely isolating. Like the, yeah, the, the main part of the day is 10 hours in a dark room, uh, with coffee and loud music. And when you have clients in, it's definitely like, that's, that's when you get to talk, but there's, I'd say at least 50% of the job is kind of isolated, head down, get the work done. Uh, especially with like Frame.io and all these remote reviews and stuff, people are getting more and more comfortable to doing that. I always like to have people in the session because you can just be so much more creative and direct and don't have to wait for notes and everything. It just kind of comes up. But there's definitely a bit of duality, I think, that you're picking up on of like <laughs> me trying to overcompensate uh, for like, oh, I need to be surrounded by people instead of the darkness. Yeah, there's de- I think that's got to be part of it. Well, and it's a, it's a funny thing because like, um, I mean, film... It kind of has this like arc to it. I feel like the beginning process where you're actually like writing and and doing a lot of kind of like this internal work can be very isolating. Mm-hmm. And then you get this burst in the middle of a hugely Production, collaborative. Everyone in. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets back into this like kind of isolated Solitary, yeah, you, yeah. Two people around a computer. <laughs> yeah, trying to make this thing work. Um, I really like that part, though. I like collaboration a lot, but mm-hmm. I love like direct collaboration, like mm four people or less we have a little production group called mystery flavors where it's about six of us i think and we all wear different hats every time on every project but that's like a really cool number to kind of be able to bounce an idea off and not hit like a blank wall even if one person doesn't have an idea to build on maybe in that group there will be something that just like it's not too much where you have to hear everybody's answer especially in like a very uh flat hierarchy we don't have like we don't wear like a director you're the director of this or uh like writer of this it's just a very collaborative thing our credits at the end is just it just says mystery flavors um so i think that size collaboration is my favorite and you sometimes often definitely need more than six people on set to pull the thing off um and that's when we you know, bring in whoever whoever wants to help but um yeah i think that size collaboration you can pull off a lot and it's just uh everybody gets so much ownership of everything that way so yeah i've definitely noticed that i love post-production in particular I love air conditioning. Uh, yeah, there's some good stuff. The, the dark room is probably the hardest part, but you just force yourself to get outside every day. Yeah. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. Um, how how did you find your way into uh, film in general? How did that start? Yeah, it started uh, through DJing, I think, through music. And like junior high, I was saving all my lunch money for drum machines and uh, turntables. So I got kind of a recording studio set up in high school and uh, had a lot of fun with that, like making beats uh, for my friends to rap on. 
Um, and then that led into, if I'm going to go to college, I want to do something fun. So I actually went to San Francisco state for sound design. Mm. Um, but then that turned into a little bit wider of a post-production in general. Cause I started learning about editing, picture editing and motion graphics and after effects. And I did one particular project that was a 10 second ID, like station ID for current TV. They okay. used to say you could make them and submit them. And I thought that would be pretty cool to have my work as a college kid on, you know, on a TV somewhere. So I, I remember specifically spending about 10 hours for uh, eight second animation. I just went straight overnight and I came out with something really cool and I had never done anything like that. But I remember sitting back and saying that I just spent, you know, 10 hours on eight seconds of animation. I've never done anything close to that with audio, like making music or sound design for a film or anything like that, that I was doing at the time. And I realized that I, you know, get so much feedback through my eyes that I think it allowed for this like kind of patience and you can see every little change that you do makes it adds up when I think I was getting a little lost in kind of the auditory landscape compared to getting that feedback. Hmm. Um, so that was like a, a super specific project that I realized that I want to do picture. Uh, I didn't know if it was going to be animation, motion graphics it was probably going to be a blend of that. Um, so I spent the last two years of college, like really diving into picture editing and, had some yeah really great uh, teachers. Kind of SF State was a uh, not the greatest curriculum at the time, but you found the right mentors, um, and they had some really cool folks from like American Zotrope and people that worked with you know Walter Murch and um, for, you know Francis Ford Coppola, and like they they had some uh, people that were you know, Pat Jackson part of that part of that crew, um, and then so that led into uh, I. I submitting for for jobs i uh, sent out some really wacky cover letters because no one would respond to anything and uh some of them just had like art in them like weird weird things just to get somebody's attention some kind of response you know like to make sure that things were landing i sent out maybe 20 i think about 25 applications within like the first two months of graduating school and the only one that stuck that i got a response from was the one that i wanted the most um, which was for a visual effects co company called the orphanage okay. uh, they were in the presidio and uh, I think my call to action actually towards the end of the cover letter was that like I lived in the sunset at the time and I just told them at the end of the cover letter like this was like for an entry level position where I needed to be like there basically 50 to 60 hours a week. And I just told them like Google Maps says I live eight minutes from the studio like you want to help me put that to the test and Jerry Castro uh, brought me in. And said, how long did it take you to get here? I was like, yeah, about nine minutes. Uh, <laughs> and then, I, yeah, it was a pretty easy interview uh, after that, and I got that job. Can you, does any of those letters stand out as, like, the craziest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, like, some, like, weird meta, uh, like, thing that I built that was about the left brain and the right brain. Um, it was, I, I thought for sure someone would be like, hey, man, you don't have to do that. Like, some kind of, like, response. <laughs> But I didn't even get a response for that. That was for like a uh, motion graphics a agency um, oh, funny. around town. But uh, but yeah, the one that I wanted the most uh, was the one that stuck. And I got thrown in a basement with uh, Stu Mashwitz and Ivan Landau and Tony uh, Reyna and David Terry Fine. Uh, all these people that a lot of people have uh, kind of heard of and turned into editorial and directors. And we had uh, nicknames for everybody there. Uh, Leslie Valentino was the producer. Um and Aaron Rhodes actually was the colorist. So we were doing a job where we had 12 vendors uh, all submitting shots, 2,000 shots for a feature film, and we were the hub of everything. Um, so my job was actually to, to bring in all the dailies uh, from these 12 different vendors and get them over to DI. 
um, which is where I kind of learned like, oh man, that's a really cool system. Like Aaron Rhodes was in there just driving everything in real time and dialing in the look of the film and kind of being like the glue that held everything together. Mm. And uh, I had done a little bit of color grading, but I hadn't seen it in that scope at all um, for a feature film. And I just thought it was really cool. And uh, I kind of helped kind of build some tools for automating some of that stuff to make sure the show got done in time. And then uh, got an interview with Lucasfilm Animation where I was doing basically the same job and they decided to bring color correction in-house. And I got trained on the system to kind of be like a support role and make sure that, you know, things are prepped and ready and conformed for the artist. And then realized uh, basically one artist uh, uh, left yeah, the, one of the lighting directors left the company and the other one became the like compositing supervisor on Iron Man or Iron Man 2 maybe at the time. Yeah, Iron Man 2 at the time. And so I was the only one left in the building that knew how to drive it. So that's how I got my opportunity. Um, yeah, Dave Filoni just kind of trusted that the guy that knew how to push the buttons might be able to be an artist. And I had a, a, kind of enough time for the first for the first couple episodes and some experience even at that point to, to really knock it out of the park. And they just let me keep doing it for... 200 episodes wow. after that did you was it that transition did it come easy or do you feel like there was a pretty big learning curve uh it felt like natural i think yeah i think it was that that project that 10 second animation that just like opened my eyes to it and uh at the orphanage actually i did it was like right when the red camera had just come out and i got to work with footage from cameras number 20 20 and 21 which were named calvin and hobbs um, this <laughs> company from sacramento bought it and they went out and shot a movie with it and then i think they realized that like there's this like new r3d thing that no one knows what to do with so they did this open cut competition where they put online basically said that if you want to try and edit and post-produce this thing we'll give you the footage just mail us a hard drive and we'll mail it back and they made like a competition out of it so i actually got a hard drive full of red footage pretty much before like with the first wave of everyone in the world and i did a whole edit and post-production color grade with it and um it was a really cool experience actually i i think out of 300 people that got the hard drive 50 something submitted cuts and I got second place. Huh. Um, I lost to the uh, Association of Cinema Editors like intern of the year. Okay. I lost to him, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good company. <laughs> mm-hmm. But actually through working with the R3D, I think I was one of the first people in at the orphanage that actually had worked with that. So when they called a meeting for like, we got a commercial shot on Red, we don't have any experience with that it's brand new and then they found out that i had actually just done a whole short film with it i got to be in like a room with all the vfx soups and got wow. to tell them my experience as like this you know brand new kid that's one of the pl- things i liked the most about the orphanage it didn't seem to have much hierarchy um mm. it was just like who knows this how do we get this shot done okay cool moving on um yeah i really liked really liked my time there what were the things that you feel like you learned the most that really like still stick with you like uh in school was there any advice that you got from mentors that really still resonates with you or in the orphanage in terms of like what you learned about collaboration or anything like that like what stands out i think through my experience with the orphanage and with lucasfilm uh being in the animation division specifically um is a lot of like like the supervisors there for lighting effects compositing are are kind of it feels like they're like let's get this shot done we don't care what the traditional pipeline is like Mm. some other studios are doing everything like based on science and it has to go through these departments that way which 
creates a level of like it's going to get done, but maybe it's way overkill for the mm-hmm. shot. Like I think some of the philosophy of I saw Stu like comping shots on his laptop. Uh, like in the DI and stuff. I was like, that's so cool. Like that's, I can, I can, and he wrote the book on that, right? Like go get After Effects, get this laptop. You can do anything that these other studios are doing with these tools that are like off the shelf. Um, And very much my supervisor at Lucasfilm, uh, Joel Aaron is the same thing. He'll, he'll go and like paint clouds. It doesn't have to be a cloud emitter. Like I'll go paint, he'll go paint them and he'll comp them into the shot. And now we have clouds on the shot that move and the shot's done and we can move on to the next. So I think that kind of philosophy of like, get it done and make it, you know, quality, but think about it versus like doing some automated process. I think that's been useful across like, you know, not just color, but like filmmaking, my filmmaking in general is like, I think we can do that. I think we can do that. We can, we can do a test. Yeah. That'll work for this shot. We can get it done. You know, Mm, that's cool. I mean, so much of filmmaking in general is problem solving and and finding out what the best solution is to a problem and a lot of times there can be literally hundreds to yeah infinite amount of ways that you can do something Mm -hmm. uh so i think it's to have that flexibility Mm -hmm. if anything yeah i'm very much like a realist uh like i've been i've done a few like vfx supervising things and they're like how should we do this i'm like well here's the easy way and the hard way and here's like the 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 way that's going to work, that's going to make not everybody's life, uh, you know, hell for, for two weeks to get this shot done. Um, really simple things too. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely take that approach. Like what, what, what is the real solution here? So a big, a big thing I want to talk about is, um, what does a colorist do? Yeah. What do we do? Sit in a dark room, sip, sip lattes, um, stay, stay cool in the AC. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think what a colorist does kind of depends on the kind of the, not the medium we're in film, but like the, the application of it. Like, is it a documentary? Is it a commercial? Is it a narrative film? Um, your approach is going to be driven by kind of what the story is and what the uh, application is. I've done, as a colorist, more and more like visual effects work um, that is like actual like true compositing kind of stuff just because you can do it in these tool sets now. Mm. Um but overall, I think it's, you know, making the footage look as good as we can and help tell the story in the best way that we can. I think it's a conversation with the DP and the director to get more of what this is supposed to feel like, even more than what you think it's supposed to look like, because mm. that is a different thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in, in the color suite, I like to use, like, try to steer the conversation to being, like, more about feelings um, and adjectives like, you know, like cozy or... Uh, off-putting or um, uh, surreal even or um, like versus a lot of times people will come in and go straight to like let's go with brightness or tint or temperature like uh, so you like when the conversation is a little bit more abstract mm -hmm. and kind of requires some Mm -hmm. interpretation and and, and hunting for it because they might say brightness but they might mean something else and when they use more words based on feeling uh you can you can be way more creative that way you might come up with something you you didn't even think of because they said something that made you reach for a different control rather than just the brightness or the you know the lift um so yeah i always try to steer people that way but i think the the main job of the colorist is to just especially in narrative stuff is like enhancing the story from the story standpoint um you can make a shot look really nice but it might not fit the mood of the scene 
um, knowing what the dialogue is, what the music is, all these things are kind of kind of leading up to your your choices and and how you're gonna kind of like bring that last bit of story and feeling to to it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the biggest like grand view of of the of what the colorist does. Um, there's a yeah, all we can dive into all the different fixing and kind of dodge burning and exposure fixes and there's a lot of fix it in post. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of that. I have this like, <laughs> I don't know if you put in uh, like pictures on the post or anything. Like if you do any media with the podcast or anything, but I'd love to, uh, I'd love to embed like a little picture of this Shiba Inu that I've been like passing around where it's like the <laughs> Shiba Inu wearing glasses, like at a computer. And it says like, when you can fix it in post. And then the second half of that meme is like, but no one can fix you. And it's like the Shiba trying to sleep with his eyes open. <laughs> I've been sending that around. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a good visual. Like, I come back to it when I get really stressed. <laughs> so, um, I mean, obviously, the nature of, you know, especially if you're in corporate or commercial work, it's usually colorist is the end of the line in terms of grabbing people to work on stuff. But when do you, and I think I know the answer, but when do you like to get brought on to a yeah. project? Early, uh, early as possible, um, especially in narrative uh, film when you have control uh so much more control over your set and uh because uh, honestly the production design is half of what makes me look good um is me also helping them look good but mm-hmm. uh, when you choose the right wardrobe you choose the right production design uh everything will be uh supporting the story more than what we could ever do in color mm. um so i've made lots of recommendations on like what what is this app what is the application or what is uh, what is the story you're trying to tell and based on, okay, this is what you should do set-wise if you have any control at all. Um, I have like emails coming in all the time like, hey, we're we're trying to do this. You've read the script. Um, like, do you think I should really push for this? Like we had a, a shot with like three cars in it and the cars are kind of tied into the characters and he was having a really hard time finding this orange car to match kind of this orange character. Um, mm. This is a live action thing too. It's not like an animated thing. And uh, so a lot of questions will come in, like because we've had that conversation about color way early, they're always running it through their filter of like production design. Will it support what we want to do color wise? And then a lot of times it's like, oh, well, what if we get like a green car, but we want it to be like a, like a cyan blue or something like that. It's like, oh yeah, well I can tell you that yeah, we can probably uh, swing, swing that. Um, and just like have them rest assured that we can get the look that they want based on the production design that they're putting in. Yeah. So there's been, yeah, more and more, and especially with narrative film, um, commercials kind of just come to me. They like, I'll find out on Tuesday that I have a job on Friday. Yeah. And at that point <laughs> I can't, I don't have much to say, um, in, in the production design, but as much narrative film and I do a decent amount of it, um, and I get those conversations started as early as possible once I know I'm on there. And a lot of times they're crewing up for narrative films before they've even shot anything. So it's perfect, like a perfect collaboration for that. And I've worked with production designers and art department and kind of that kind of thing to be kind of uh, in the loop with all that and help decision, like decision make or tie break in some cases. Like they've definitely uh, uh, will take take the opinion. What's the most uh, in-depth uh, you've gotten in the pre-production process? Telling them what wall to paint, like what, what color to paint the wall, what shirt the talent should wear, sending them examples, like references of like, here's, you know, 
a clean look, but something with a little more vibrancy than just like a white psych. Hmm. Um, I've yeah definitely like given examples of things that I know work, um, and they've I've seen it show up in camera when I when I get the dailies. So interesting. Yeah. Does have you been in a situation where that's been off-putting to, uh, like a DP or a production designer, or or do you no? Feel like because overall... they're they're always asking they're they're asking for my opinion. I'm not forcing it on them. Total, okay, um, totally. Especially in narrative, like uh, I think commercial world's a, a little different than people with their passion projects mm -hmm. um, that they just want to make sure they're doing it right from the get go. Totally. Um, and yeah, the, the directors that I've worked with, I think because they remember the collaborative experience that we had at the very end, um, a lot of them will think of me, especially for the next project. And that's, I think almost all of them have been, I've worked on their first project without that integration. Mm -hmm. And then later down the road, they, they really want to involve me early. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a few directors I can think of that it seems like I, I get the script before they do anything. Do you help come up with like color palettes ever? Yeah, I'll send yeah reference. I have like a library of like here's things that work for that mood, and a lot of people have things in mind already, and either I'm just confirming that it will work with mm -hmm. reference, you know. Um, and a lot of times they have their own library depending on the director. They always have like a lookbook these days, like this is what we're going for, and here are our references, and um, you can kind of fill that in. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's yeah it's collaborative. It's it's like a really fun part for me because. As a colorist, you get to, you know, have a lot of ownership by the end, and you get to be there right at the end for the last high five of, like, you're done. <laughs> I know this thing almost killed you, but you're done, especially, like, narrative features. Um, but kind of being there to bookend it uh, as much as possible. Um, and it's it's only when you develop a real, like, relationship, um, but that's the whole reason I'm doing this is mm -hmm. to, like, be creative with collaborators over time. I've worked on... Uh, with the director Danny Madden on his last like six films and he's ramping up for his first feature and that's the same thing where I actually recommended an actor for that one like I had a guy in mind that would be this kinetic character that he needed and he's going to Atlanta in August to, to help make that movie that's awesome so, yeah <laughs> so I you know I definitely in school and then kind of like having these moments of check-in of like proper process and everything I definitely think that I I know the being taught the way to do things is you finish production, you go into editing, you lock picture, and then you do, you know, sound design or music, and then you do color, and then that's the process. And I think, like, in more, like, a streamlined, like, fast-paced moving thing, like, if you're really a machine, maybe that works. But my, t my feeling has always been that it's a more organic process. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I would agree that it's not just like a, a linear assembly line. Mm -hmm. Like some things are like that when you have like a serial type project that you might be doing. You know, we have 12 of these to get through. Um, it's totally. going to it's going to take that form anyway. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I agree that and it's getting more and more where it's, it's you know, colorists, not as much as sound designers, but colorists like really do like you to lock <laughs> before we really dive in, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's a little easier to, to reconform things than I think for, I always feel bad for, I work with sound folks all the time because we're, it's color and sound like simultaneously mm -hmm. usually. And uh, I know we've got, we've sent some like commiserating emails back and forth uh, between departments as we're reconforming for the, you know, the third or fourth time after we've been told it's been locked so there's definitely some rigidity that we'd like to see there um but i've done a ton of stuff grading like dailies coming right off the set like hey are we like a sanity check kind of thing and show mm -hmm. them what it would look like and or make recommendations on like the camera like the noise in the camera uh, it's a, kind of a dit job but mm -hmm. for a lot of places that don't 
like indie films that might not have like a dedicated person to look at the image besides just like offloading cards and stuff like that i'll get things sent uh, sent over to give them a sanity check for the same hmm. day that they shot the footage nice um, i've been integrated yeah in that way is yeah. that is that sort of thing like you just do like a clip or grab a frame or do you do a more extensive? A lot of times it's like uh, yeah, dailies, colorist kind of thing, just a primary kind yeah. of grade, set contrast, make sure it's coming in as as expected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of a DIT type job, but from you know remote color suite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've done done a lot of that. Have you ever done uh, creating a look and then giving it to production to try out on set? Yep. Has that worked well? Yeah, um, I think so. I think more for, haven't done actually, I guess, going right back to set. Um, that would be like a true DIT, which I haven't done much of, mm-hmm. like an official capacity. Um, but I've done a lot of like, let's set something more than just a camera LUT for, especially for narrative films, for the editor. Mm-hmm. So we'll make like a just a cube to go into their lumetry or whatever. And so they can kind of carry something along that might feel a little bit more like the film because I've also seen... People have like, you know, they have a temp love for music. I've seen people with temp love for color hmm. and I've seen it kind of hold them back from certain looks and things that might service the story more because they're just like, no, that's, that's not what it's supposed to look like. And I was like, well, they could look like whatever we want it to. I remember when I was still in college, uh, we, we actually, I had a cinematography class that I was the director. We actually shot on film. So we took it to um, a lab to actually, like when we processed it, mm-hmm. we actually did like, old school yeah printer color. light yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and actually actually that's not true I think in this one we did do a, a, a DI and then did like a pass on it okay. um, but I remember sitting down with their like uh, colorist and being like how do you want this to look and I was just like Good. Uh, yeah I, I don't know <laughs> cool <laughs> uh, I said some like really basic like I think the stuff that I was saying was like I want like you know like really deep blacks but cool. like you know like that's a good place to start yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but it was just really funny for me to like open up that conversation of like especially when it's not even something that i was thinking about at the time but mm-hmm. it's like what how do you start that conversation how mm-hmm. do you really build that build up what that look is going to be in a in a way that because it's the same thing like you're solving problems it could be a million different things you start with a feeling. Story and feeling, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where I start and end. <laughs> There's like a lot of things in, in between to like getting things technically right, but it's all got to service a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do read a script, do you do you start to get ideas of how it could look? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's all the feelings kind of in there. I mean, there'll be definitely some surprises like, oh, I didn't know that's how they were going to frame that or execute that. I think that's the, the biggest thing, script to the execution of filmmaking and style and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. There's... there's often surprises yeah um but yeah i start picturing it the way i would see it and i'd say half the time it's right (laughs) yeah when when you're watching uh films how aware are you of color and choices being made in in other people's work i try not to Uh, (laughs) yeah i try not to uh there's like a, a thread on one of the forums that i go to for colorists and it's like shit colorists do and i haven't done anything this bad but some some people will be sitting there like in the theater and like a shot comes up and maybe they feel like it's overexposed and they'll reach out for like the wheels and like oh like oh no i'm not i'm not actually working right now i haven't done that but um i've definitely like when i see something i like i start to really break down like Hmm. what whoa what's going on like what a lot of times it's in cinematic stuff it's almost it's almost like reducing spectrum and so like what colors did they choose to eliminate Hmm. versus 
make more of. Yeah. Um, it's almost always kind of that. And that's where like the looks, like really creative looks, things that support the story are a lot of times embracing, you know, certain palettes um, and throwing a lot of stuff out. So I, I notice like subtractive things a lot. Um, that could be from the film stock or, or, or the DI. But I think those are the things that really grab me to like start to break down what they may have done. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I uh, had a teacher that he would do um, sound for uh, big bands at, at a, a big theater venue. Mm -hmm. And he would always tell me that like whenever they were like, they just wanted more, everything just more. pushed to the <laughs> ceiling. And you go like more guitar, more vocals, more whatever. He'd get to a point where you go, I usually just take everything else and just yeah. turn it down a little bit. Yep. And yep. it'll do the exact same thing yep. for them. But uh, it's like everybody just wants to kind of focus on the thing and yeah. bump it up as opposed to, I think, a reductive process. Subtractive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, yeah a lot of times that's the answer. Like, and that's, a, that's where it comes back to like the language that we're using with the DI. They might say this one specific thing that they want of mm -hmm. more warmth, more warmth or something, but maybe it was actually more color contrast. What if we pushed a little bit of like coolness into the shadow? Now that warm feels warmer. We didn't just go sepia tone or something, you know? Yeah. We actually did that for like Paper Birds was kind of like it wanted to feel... We wanted to feel period, but it didn't definitely not sepia mm -hmm. um, and not like bloomed out kind of weird film. Like we wanted to still feel like kind of like like you're present there, like you're living it there. And we did embrace a lot of like warmth and creamy highlights and everything. But then we also really exaggerated kind of anything green or cyan that would come into frame mm -hmm. um, that just gave it uh, more spectrum than just going with like throwing on the aged film look or something, you know, so. Totally. And um, I remember that was a big conversation that we were all having and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, talking with Lauren about making sure that it doesn't feel like an old, mm -hmm. it's it's not, it's like, a, it's a weird thing because you're like, it's a period piece, but, but it's not we're present. an archival film. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're present, we're there. Yeah. But yeah, so and it's, I know, yeah. Yeah, that was really important to Lauren and also like just us trying to figure out like where where is the landing point mm -hmm. uh, tonally. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever see a film or see a, a, a scene and you're not sure exactly what they did? Like, is there ever any time when you're like, oh, this is really cool, but I'm not, I don't know what they did here. Yeah. Yeah, often I'm just like it'll be it'll jump out at me. A lot of times it's like where they put the contrast kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so in that case, like if I can get my hands on like a, a, a kind of a promo still or something that's been put out officially, I'll just bring the still from that mm -hmm. frame like into the DI and look at where it is on the scopes. Um, I'm seeing a lot of stuff uh, lately that has like a lower contrast window, so like kind of a lifted shadow and definitely not clipped highs for like a lot of cinematic stuff. And then just like a really, like a decently aggressive amount of contrast inside of that window. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really cool to see like bringing in the stills and seeing exactly on the scopes where these things are registering. Interesting, and, and, yeah. Yeah, and saving that kind of as like, I'll rebuild it uh, and save it as a look. Do you do that a lot? Uh, yeah. Yeah, steel, sample. I think everybody does it. <laughs> yeah, this is like you see something like in commercials, I think, are like really big because they, they fly by in 30 seconds. They've like dumped, you know, as much production design into that 30 seconds in color, you know, even for a 30 second commercial, have a whole day to do it on like bigger budget commercials. And uh, you get some really cool stuff out of there that sometimes you can, you know, bring on t into the narrative world, but sometimes you'll leave little elements of it behind. Mm -hmm. But it's cool to see if you can recreate it. How often are you watching a film and you don't like the choices being made. Uh, yeah, decent amount. But then, you know, there's like always, you know, just such a, a mix of 
decision making that led to that. It could have been in sure. the lighting. It could have been in the grade. Um, and it, you know, it's not my story to tell. Totally. So it's just like, you know, you can people make comments on like oh, I wouldn't put that joke there or whatever. But like it's not it's not your movie. So totally. Um, I definitely let it go and like learn kind of what not to do if, if it's not in my taste or whatever. Mm -hmm. You kind of learn from what works or what doesn't work, at least in your taste. Is there anything that drives you crazy, uh, either trends or stuff? I mean, I know, I know, like, I've definitely seen work, uh, you know, either like a music video where it's it, like, it just definitely feels like there's over-processing going mm -hmm. on, you know, and it's not like a commercial look. It's just like, they're it's like they're masking something <laughs> yeah yeah too far yeah i tried my philosophy is very much like let's not make this about the color like let's not jump out you know just like a good editor is the one you don't notice you're just being told the story that's exactly my philosophy um i've done some things where like people want so much richness or vibrancy out of it where like i physically like i can't even turn the knob anymore you know like i'm like i just can't <laughs> you have to come over here if you want that you know like i've gotten into little situations like that um because my job is supposed to be like, you know, taste keeper, kind of like, you know, the collaborator in that sense. Um, and there are some places where I'll get things to and then they're like, okay, cool, we do like it and we do want to push it further. And it's still within a good, good realm of taste, but I'll just need the director to like really encourage me to be like, let's take it into that realm. Mm -hmm. It's okay to go that far with it. And I've still seen really great things come out of there and even surprising things come out of like, oh, wow, we, we committed to that and it came through, but I needed their permission totally. to kind of go there. Per um, permission as opposed to being pushed into this. Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. This is a fine line of like, I can't go any further. Even if you tell me to, I, mean, I can't, I can't do it. Um, there's been, yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while I have to kind of be a little bit of gatekeeper of sanity, um, <laughs> in that sense. But yeah, things that drive, uh, me crazy are yellow walls. Um, I think any photographer is the same thing where it's like that, that's not a yellow wall. That's just a, not a white balance camera. <laughs> and then you like grade it and you balance it and you're like, oh man, that actually is a yellow wall. Why, why did they put a yellow wall in there? <laughs> I've, I've gotten, I've gotten notes back for sure. Like what happened to the yellow wall? Oh, I'm like, oh, wow. it's, it's white now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, not, yeah, yeah, it's hard to make yellow walls work, uh, especially <laughs> with people in them. Yeah. Over, overly done, like mid-tone sharpening or detail. We can get like really nerdy on like little techniques that are kind of overused or call attention to themselves. There's been actually a couple TV shows lately where they're just like going, going nuts and, uh, they're just calling so much attention to the color itself that it actually kicks, I think not even me, mm -hmm. but like the lay person just like feels like we're looking at this thing through a weird filter or something, you know? Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of there's there's some things that go too far. I I remember like I think we're I think we're out of it now for the most part, but there was the whole phase of like uh just ungraded or mm, relatively log. flat log yeah. looking. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was that was yeah, when I don't know what camera had just come out that was shooting, maybe it was the FS7 or C300 that was just shooting like really flat. Like you saw it everywhere on the internet for sure. Like guys, like I was talking like film festivals like that just is just an ungraded image. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a trend, but I think it was like an accident, like just people not knowing better maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and also definitely some temp, temp love. Like I've worked with some directors that have like cut the thing pretty much in log. And then when we start giving it some life, they're like, whoa, I don't know if this is my movie. And I'm like, oh. Well, it is a jarring thing. Like I mm -hmm. definitely know you get used to seeing a thing a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. And and that becomes your your kind of benchmark for reality. Mm -hmm. And once you push it outside of that original kind of, like, whether it's a comfort zone or mm -hmm. whatever it is, or you're just an understanding of it, it can be strange. Yeah. 
But then after a certain point, I feel like that then becomes... You come around to it, yeah. 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 And it's a lot of like, times you need to sleep sleep on it. You're like, I oh, know this is, you've never seen this film this way. Let's sleep on it, especially narrative stuff that we've worked on for so long. I've never like commit, no, this is the way it's going to be. Totally. I remember seeing like before and afters of certain uh, pieces that we've done where it's like, it's crazy to go back and see what the original footage mm-hmm. looked like because it almost feels like there's n- nothing there. Like it's so, there's like no contrast at all. Mm-hmm. There's n- it's like everything is just pale looking. So it's really mm-hmm. crazy what's possible, but then also it's really crazy how we get used to. Yeah. See things a certain way. I would say color, like finding that right, like level of contrast, saturation kind of thing is, and color adjustments in general are, I always say they're like rack focusing where you have to go like a little bit too far and you're like, oh, that's Mm. not that. And then you go a little too far the other way and like, oh, that's not what I want either. And then you find kind of the the Goldilocks out of that. Um, It's very much, and I'll say that in a session all the time when we're, especially when we're starting to build a look, let's like, let's push it too far because you might be surprised like, oh no, it actually does hold up right, right there. We've seen some like, really rich like film looks like uh quiet place had like these really rich colors that was like almost if you just looked at a still you'd think that maybe it was oversaturated but when you watch that film like it just like has some really bold look to it yeah so do you have any cameras that you particularly like working with yeah ari (laughs) yeah that's the easy one um Yeah, Ari, everything, the uh, 65, I got my hands on some of that. Um, mm. Yeah, anything Ari, of course. Um, the Blackmagic uh, latest line has been really fun to grade. It's holding up really well. You can shoot like Pro's Quad and Raw, and the color like out of the gate is pretty nice. Um, I think the red takes a little bit more work mm-hmm. to get it where I like it, um, but of course it's super malleable, um, mm. so always like working with red, but it's just a... Yeah, it takes a little bit more work to to get it where I want. Um, and then the C200 has been really interesting. Uh, the raw light workflow just seems like it's going to be, like, hopefully the new documentary camera. Mm-hmm. Um, FS7, C300 are fun just because they give you the range. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the C200, I think, is hopefully going to take that take that over why do you think the c200 just in terms of its uh just the the compression is a lot better um the c300 actually has a temporal thing where if you should look at anything shot on the c300 in i think two out of the three main modes it actually has a doubling uh thing to the motion blur like high contrast areas will have a halo Mm. it's just in there when you press play like you can't really see it but if you pause on a frame you're like whoa there's like a doubling of that person Hmm. it's in the temporal compression it's like the nature of the camera as far as i know um, well, almost everything I've gotten from C300 has that in there. Um, and yeah, the new raw light codec gets around that. Um, and then 35 millimeter film. It's pretty nice. <laughs> have you, have, have you done a decent amount of color work on that or no, you, no, I, I haven't done much. I'm definitely, like I said, got started right when the red camera came out and it's been almost all digital acquisition, but I'm working on a film, uh, right now that's all 35 millimeter and it's just lush and doesn't break apart. It does what you want it to do. It's really beautiful. I think from the ones I've gotten on, it just like suited the story. It felt right for what's happening in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the right medium for it. So it all it always comes back to that. I've made recommendations for cameras. That's another thing I've done um, mm-hmm. for a lot of people in in my realist part of me. Like definitely like take in consideration the budget, and I can kind of pick out this would be the best one to uh, you know 
how many days are you shooting? You should be able to rent that for for this. Or actually, I've recommended buying the C two hundred and return and selling it because it's like brand new. So you could rent it for like three weeks for like fifteen hundred bucks. You just eat the cost of like selling it used. Um, <laughs> that's something that's happening next month, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, good good for that. <laughs> um, your preference is narrative work. Is that is that am I correct in? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Why is that for you? people care so much about it. Um, I mean, we care about, you know, paying the bills too. Um, but there's just nothing that it just for color, for, for helping make decisions in color, uh, based on feeling and story, um, is that's just the sweet spot. Um, there's, you know, other, other work where you get to do really fun stuff. Um, but it's a little more of a cosmetic treatment maybe mm-hmm. uh, not just like beauty touch-ups or anything i do a lot of that but i'm just like it's just like just this is how this is supposed to look because we said so mm-hmm. versus we're finding this thing together um and based on what this character is going through it's just such a fun place to to work it's a, such a privilege how has the narrative work kind of evolved and continued because i feel like you one of the things that you you do is really kind of like f- find and create those communities to kind mm-hmm. of help support a mm-hmm. lot of that work yeah, so part of uh, being a colorist is like we're not doing anything that a compositor can't do, um, or anyone with After Effects. I mean, or even Resolve. Like, it's like color tools. When I first started, it was two hundred thousand dollars for this for the new coda that I was on, and now it's three hundred dollars <laughs> plus a control surface of your cho- of your choice. It's it's crazy. So the tools aren't out of reach of anybody. Um, but uh, like a big soft skill that I think just comes with experience is um, kind of like running a room. Uh, managing clients' expectations, making sure the job is done in the window that's allotted. Um, it's like you can dig yourself a hole working on one shot, uh, especially when people won't stop you. You know, you're on like your 14th node and like, they're like, okay, I think we can move on from this shot. And they're just like, well, yeah, I'm not going to stop you because everything you do makes it look better. Like you have to kind of manage that uh, through it all. Um, but yeah, well, part of the other soft skill of like being a colorist is like actually being able to do your work while like kind of having a conversation and keeping people involved in the room and engaged. But also like there's some parts where you just have to get your head down, but uh, and do the do the work or roto or whatever needs to be done to get the shot done. And uh, a lot of times like that's when I'll bring up like just like what else are you guys working on? Um, and the first thing that always comes like out of that conversation is like whatever people are really excited about. Mm-hmm. So I hear about people's passion projects and like, oh yeah, well I'm doing this, but uh, yeah, on the weekends I'm doing the short film of mine or whatever. And so when I hear about that, which comes up like at least like half the time, I think people just have something that they're super passionate about. Um, that's when I usually <laughs> invite them to this uh, like filmmaker support group that I do uh, called Workshop Wednesday. Um, There's about like 50 people on the mailing list. We get about 30, 35 of them at uh, every meetup, which is about like every quarter. Um, and that's just a place for people to share like projects that won't exist without them pushing on them. Like mm-hmm. they are their passion projects and probably has a few collaborators, but there's somebody that's taken total ownership of this thing and has to see it in the world. And it's ranged from people doing stuff, you know, and like a 48 hour, uh, like film festival type thing to like people quitting their dream job at Pixar and Lucasfilm to pursue this short film. Mm. Um, so uh, some, some super high stakes, some just for fun, but it's all kind of like this really inspiring group. Um, that gets together to to encourage each other and keep each other inspired on on what they can what they can pull off. How important do you think that kind of a group or a network is, or those kind of events are? Yeah. For me, I mean, I, st- I definitely have started it kind of out of a selfish 
place that I wasn't, you know, I was in the color suite a lot and I get great ownership and I love collaborating with people in that realm, but there's something different about being like, oh, I helped on that. I, I worked on that film versus like, oh, I made that. Like I needed every once in a while a project where I can just say, even if it was just dumb comedy stuff that we usually do, it's like I needed one that would be like, yeah, I made that. So that's where we started kind of this workshop Wednesday to like hold yourself accountable to every three months having something to show mm -hmm. or some progress at least on, on, a, on, a, on a project. So a few of like pretty close friends and collaborators, musicians and people that have just hung out with for the last like decade, we started doing this thing called Mystery Flavors where we did like sketch comedy that we'd have to have a new sketch for every meetup. And uh, the first year that we did that, we had four different kind of pretty dumb but high quality projects to show that made people laugh that um, we got to like act and shoot and edit and all this stuff so um, it's kind of workshop Wednesday was just kind of like a something to make me feel guilty if I didn't have something to share with the group um, it was actually started with I, I was doing music I still do music um, but we were doing uh, music Monday which turned into taco Tuesday. Um, where we would decide every month, actually, we had a, a group of music producers get together in a room and share like the tracks that they're working on at the time and have tacos and, and encourage each other to keep making stuff. And then that went so well that I started the uh, filmmaking version of that, which has been really fun. Do you still do the music version? Uh, not enough. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of gotten a little bit. You know, workshop kind of took over a little bit of it. <laughs> um, and I just I haven't as mu had as much time as I'd like to, to make music. I definitely know, like, I mean, the organization of that is a, it's a, it's a big thing. Like, mm -hmm. it's definitely, like, I think that can get out of control. So mm -hmm. it's always good to, like, I don't know, like, the reward of it, I think, is doing it, for me at least, because I've done, like, uh, actors meetups and, and different kind of, like, you know, trying to continue to connect with people and network and encourage people and show, you know, what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it can take a toll until you kind of hit the event and <laughs> yeah get through it and then recover and uh ramp back up but yeah it's worth it i mean yeah I've just like those those nights don't you know they're wednesday night they're like a school night and i always try my hardest to like wrap it up before midnight um but it just like the group gets together and they're just having a blast and uh, we pay for it the next day i guess but uh um, it's just like feel that moment, like bringing everybody together and like seeing and just getting so much encouragement when you have a room full of like that many creative people, mm -hmm. just like the, you know, the resource for like, ah, I'm like stuck on this part and you throw it out to the room and out of those 30 people, you're going to have like some really good answers. They kind of like, people don't say anything unless they're like really adamant or have like a really good idea about it. Mm -hmm. Um, we had the, uh. Like the very first session we had, we had Colin Kreiner, this editor, is doing uh, his own short film about these feuding pie shops in like the Depression era, and they're like stuffing them with like pigeons and like f you know rats from the sewer, and like there's like these disgusting pies, and then they start to realize like that the competition is doing that, and it gets kind of out of hand in their revenge on like trying to like be good capitalists, and. Uh, Basically, like the editor wanted to show that the progress we made, and he's like, "I'm just like stuck on a title. I don't know what to call this thing." And Richard just yelled out, "Pie for a pie!" And we were like, "I guess we're done here." Like, the, the, like thirty ideas, like thirty people, like that idea is going to come out. So it's called Pie for a Pie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's. I mean, the other side of that too is like just having that validation that what you're doing is worth it or you're on the right track or that you have support because mm. i do think that there is that 
like especially when it is at the most isolating points yep. like you can get really yep. lost that's why i call it a filmmaking support group like that <laughs> is the the kind of the subtitle of workshop wednesday it's like that's what we're here for is to just be there for each other what's your do you have any long-term like like what would you like to see it evolve into or are you even thinking that far is it really i haven't really i'm just surprised like on the how it's grown and uh, everybody that's been like just joined it's just like it's kind of cool to see it grow in that place as long as we can still fit it at the the the, at the shop um because it'll get a little more difficult to rent out venues i think for it that would cause more stress than just having people show up Mm -hmm. um but yeah um just like having new people to share and like new people to meet and see these projects because some of them take you know we meet every three months but some of them take a year or two and to see someone's culmination of that work like those really kick you in the ass to make like your next thing really as as good as it can be so it's cool to have that kind of rotation and growth in that way i think it's a really important part of it actually that's awesome is that where mystery flavors came from or was that a group that was that you had that you were a part of before it's mystery flavors is like my best friend since i was 15 and uh, a couple people we've known for a while that they've been best friends since they were 15 so we've kind of like known each other in a way but we didn't have like a reason to make something as much mm-hmm. like once we had like a room full of our peers to show work to that's what made it like oh i guess we better make this like decent um so yeah but uh we've known each other quite a bit but then it's kind of grown like we have different people collaborating through that through that work too so that's just the nature of you know filmmaking is you can't you can't do it alone so um getting the right like just passionate people that's that's the group that shows up i don't know like a lot of the potential is like to have a support group or to have this this you know close network of people that all have their own various interests mm-hmm. i feel like you can have some additionally fun kind of microcosms of Definitely. like different genres or different styles or you yep. know i don't know like little clashes of yeah that's kind of mystery flavors that philosophy is that we didn't want to do the same thing over it's become just the nature of that group it kind of gets dumb and comedic pretty quick um, but we wanted to try different different genres even in in that so uh, the next thing up coming up is like a horror film that turned into a horror comedy but uh <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah uh, kind of that mix like to just to just to test things out it's a little little film lab so and so what what are the i mean I def- it definitely and i think it's something that is is probably in some ways true for a lot of us as uh writing stories and coming up with these films like we may have one kind of general style or genre but we definitely i i personally think that the exploration and getting outside of our comfort zone and trying new things is mm-hmm. definitely part of the process. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the projects that you gravitate towards the most? Or or is if it's not that, is it a type of process that you gravitate towards in terms of creating yeah, something? Definitely like flat hierarchy collaborative film is just kind of like no idea. We've actually did a music video where no idea got left on the floor except for one where we had to set something on fire and we didn't like but every other idea got into this thing and it turned out to be like pretty weird and surreal but like really worthwhile and like this cumulative effect of like this peanut butter and jelly effect where just like the all the little stupid ideas became this like really kind of cool cool thing in the end um but yeah like that 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 kind of filmmaking is just like really fun and you know it's not i don't know how sustainable it is um, you know, someone's got to make like those calls at the end. And we, you know, luckily have been friends where we can kind of like hurt each other's feelings just enough to get the thing done. But I don't know if like a group of new people could, could, mm-hmm. uh, could work in that way, uh, as consistently as we do. But, 
It's a tough thing because I definitely I've been in situations where people don't work well together. Mm-hmm. But but I think that a big part of that, like I'm totally with you, depending on what the what the forum is, like you do things a little bit differently. But like I've been in those situations where it's totally a group effort and we, you know, all work together to figure out what this thing is. Mm-hmm. And I usually see myself in a, in a role of fit, facilitation and and trying to kind of help like help filter like either what are the strongest ideas and then what we can kind of collaboratively feed off of. And what are actually achievable or doable, that realist part of you. Yeah. Absolutely. The producer brain kicks in like, Oh, well for sure. And then if if something's not quite there, like really supporting and kind of getting us to all kind of like poke holes in it and see what you like, maybe there is something that's, if you pull some layers back, there's value in there, Mm -hmm. but, but it's not quite there yet. Like, how do we get past the obvious choices of what mm. we should do? How do we find the things that that are more interesting and more non-standard, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good filter to have. It's like the the cliché filter or not. Like like how do we how do yeah, how do we do this more interesting way or our way? Like you develop a style from working together like this would be the way we would do it and like people would probably agree when you point it out like oh yeah, that is that is the mystery flavors way or whatever, you know. Do you feel like do you feel like you have a good sense of what that is, or do you think it's you don't really know until you see it? Yeah, it's it's so specific. Like, you, but you feel it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it comes down again. Feeling story. Um, yeah, you don't know until you feel it. Is there anything like from uh, people either inside or outside of the production industry field um, that you think is worth sharing about? being a colorist that mm-hmm. maybe maybe isn't quite understood or you think it's worth helping people to kind of think a little bit differently about that role just like the layman or anyone working anywhere like uh yeah i don't know they shouldn't notice us if we're doing a good job they mm-hmm. should feel it but um it shouldn't be something that stands out usually um so yeah i mean there's not like an awards category for that yet um, I think there could be just like a lot of these things that we're starting to see are, are very much crafted in the DI. And, uh, I think, yeah, the biggest honor, you know, with one day, maybe probably on a short film, but like the biggest honor would be to share a card with like a DP, um, just that, you know, they did an amazing amount of effort and work, but maybe the look isn't achievable without the colorist mm. collaboration as well. Um, so I think that, that would be a cool thing to see uh, more and more common. I've done that a, co- a couple times on short films, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's just like the necessity of like having to make those credits a little shorter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, sharing, yeah, sharing a little bit of the, uh, of the recognition um, would be cool, but I don't, yeah, I don't want to sound bitter or anything. <laughs> I'm not really like, I don't mind coming after catering. Like that's, that's important stuff. Any other thoughts or anything that you we didn't talk like a ton about color i guess not like about the approach or anything technique just if like somebody like clicks it and they're like oh colorist i want to hear what the color like it's more like general filming which is i I was also really excited to talk you know that much about workshop wednesday and mystery flavors and stuff um well let's talk about the basics the color yeah Yeah. like what would the approach be like yeah okay so we got a film yep it's in color congrats you made it this far (laughs) (laughs) sorry So, so what, uh, talk about it. Like what, what, what are the first steps? Yeah. First steps. I think going through usually a spotting session, kind of jumping through each sequence, not really like committing to anything, just like kind of playing, driving, seeing where the footage goes, what, what, uh, kind of sensibilities. I do a lot of different tests with like, especially with new people, like 
do you guys like vignetting or kind of this kind of shaping? And a lot of people are like, oh no, I don't, you know, like it'll jump out really quickly what their taste is. Mm. And if you, if it really works, you start to get like, even in the first session of like the second or third hour in, you start to get like a telekinetic kind of thing. Like you're reaching for the control as they're kind of telling you uh, what to do. I've worked with uh, my supervisor, Joel Aaron at Lucasfilm for 10 years now. And we barely say words. It's like he knows the clicks and clacks that I'm making. He knows what I'm doing. And before he can say what he wants me to do, I'm doing it already. So that that's that's some other level. But usually you can get to some kind of like almost a shorthand pretty quickly in, in, in figuring out what their, what their taste is and what their expectations are. But yeah, usually kind of setting a look or, or setting a, a series of looks and seeing how those can be glued kind of together narratively, especially uh, if it's a longer form piece. Um, and then a, a big thing, I think people always ask, like, you know, what's the rate or can we can we can we do color uh, for this budget or whatever? And the thing about color is, like, I think there's always a way you can get, like, pretty quickly a primary grade that's going to fix, you know, white balance issues and contrast hookup and saturation, get everything in, like, a ballpark like I do for a lot of documentary stuff. It's just, like, this was shot over, you know, two months with, like, three different cameras. We needed to feel cohesive at all. Mm -hmm. And that kind of primary pass is always absolutely worth doing. I've done... Uh, a lot of stuff that was like beautifully controlled lighting, but still we went in um, and even yeah, some animation stuff that was just designed from the get-go, but we went in with a fine-tooth comb and it was absolutely worth like the the look through with scopes and mastering on a like a properly calibrated monitor, especially when there's multiple artists involved or, you know, DPs and shoot days. Um, but then you can kind of get a little bit further if the budget allows and time allows for you to go in and really start shaping and doing kind of like dodge and burn type effects to really kind of... Uh, get your eye where it needs to go when the shot opens up. Mm -hmm. um, they call it eye trace. Um, there's a few Google um, There Will Be Blood eye trace or eye tracking. There's some really cool series of um, the study where they played a couple scenes from There Will Be Blood with like about 12 people in the audience and they tracked where they were looking on screen and you can see that 80% of the people are looking at the exact same spot on the frame Interesting. at the same time. And the things that draw your eye there are contrast like what's the brightest or most contrasted region um blocking of like when things are revealed if there's a new piece of information revealed 99 mm -hmm. percent of people will go to that piece of information hmm. uh, when you have something kind of that that controlled you know on that that level so that's really interesting to see but that's some of the stuff we use in color to make sure that the audience is looking where you want them to mm -hmm. um so a lot of gradding and shaping and popping contrast and kind of dodge and burn style stuff have and you, then have you personally yeah. been able to experience any like eye tracking study kind of I stuff? I haven't. No, I haven't been like in, in the room or anything, but I know they've done a few different films, but I really like the, the There Will Be Blood one because they have like a series of different styles of eye tracking um, and different scenes. Like one's super moody, dark, and you see how well it works. And then one's like one of the wide, you know, like oil field shots and you see how well that works like just everybody tracks the exact like same place that's so it was like a weird anomaly that like someone will just like be zoned out you can tell they're just like spacing out from the same <laughs> it's just eyes yeah. going off, <laughs> for, off the screen <laughs> yeah forget, forget that again but but yeah there's like a really like a unified kind of experience that the colorist with some of the shaping and stuff that we can do to, to kind of like direct the the viewer where you want to be um that's like a really nice thing to do uh, and then, of course, uh, on on par with that is like refining like skin tone and yeah. um, pulling really minute keys to get everything kind of in 
in the zone where you want it to be. Um, and then just crafting a look, which is kind of like after we've balanced everything, got it all kind of hooked up, feeling like the same movie, um, then you kind of can move into like, well, what are these other particular things that we can do? And a lot of times it's just subtractive, kind mm -hmm. of removing palette. I, I remove greens and magentas a lot unless they're purposefully supposed to be there. That's kind of a mm -hmm. tint adjustment. Um, that can sometimes go wild if you're not controlling the, the, the camera too much. Um, but all the refinement and developing a look, um, where you place the contrast uh, inside of like your overall window and um, yeah, just like making it feel cohesive. I've, I've definitely heard stuff um, and seen some things where it's like you can, you can go even further and like add shapes and kind of uh, create lighting mm -hmm. beyond mm -hmm. all of that, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You can't place the lights, like the direction of the lights, but you can kind of shape the light mm -hmm. um, and, and, and with, with tracking, like even with cameras moving, stuff like that, you can just make it feel like, you know, if you don't want someone to look up there to that unproduction design corner, you know, like we can just drop it and make sure you're, you're looking where you should be. Um, that's really fun stuff. There's, I mean, it's all kind of comes, comes back to like starts with, this is a, overstating it, but you know, it starts with the camera mm -hmm. and all the work that comes into both designing your set, lighting your set, and then filming in a, in a, in a way that is, you know, even at that point can focus your attention. Mm -hmm. My friend Jesse, Dana, like we talked about that idea of being more painterly. Like mm -hmm. when you have more time or you have more tools or resources or or maybe minds tackling the problem, you have a, more of that liberty to be more painterly. Mm -hmm. How would you paint it? Yeah. How would yeah. you shape the light? Rembrandt. Yeah. Like yeah. just how would you shape the light if you if you were going to draw it? Yeah. Where is that? Because there's definitely, I think you can get distracting with it, but where do you think the benefit of that is? I mean, everything you can do in camera, I'm never going to be disappointed at getting it in camera. Um, but there are some like very practical points. I was in a session, actually. Uh, another soft skill of being a colorist is uh, diplomacy, especially between <laughs> people that have worked together, uh, a DP and a director that have worked together on a feature film. Um, kind of like being the uh, yeah diplomat. Um, so I actually remember in this case, actually, there was like a scene where they couldn't quite shape the light. They just didn't have like enough equipment to block out the sun. Mm. And, and they could have probably actually pulled everything out of the grip truck and burned about 40 minutes setting up this one insert kind of shot. And when we're in this suite, like the deep, like it was like one of the first scenes that we just jumped to in like real three. And he's like, can we go here? Because he had a, to prove this point. So the DP like had me grad and shape and vignette and basically put up, you know, like negative fill type type grades and he just kind of looked at the director after we did that and i just felt the tension i'm like well yeah yeah we can we can do that here there'll be lots of uh, like shaping and like making things but you you could feel that um when you know he just kind of looked at the director and kind of said i told you so without without telling you but there's like a and i think it's only through experience as well like how much can be done in the di yeah. for shaping light mm -hmm. but um yeah we've come in pretty pretty handy in in some of those cases so we've gotten to this place where we're we've gone through the the primaries and the secondaries and we're really at that last point of of shaping mm -hmm. um what else do you what else is part of the process? Is there anything else that, that stands out? Yeah, I think just wrangling palette and trying to get that look through. Um, definitely dug myself a hole before, like getting one scene looking like just right where we want it. And that's kind of the, the challenge of, of a color. Can you extend that through through the through the entire film or even the entire scene sometimes? Like you, you hear about 
people digging themselves holes and uh, that's when you can can get into trouble. But that's part of the creative process though. You know, it's like see where you, where you can go and sometimes there's not enough time in the day to, to, to make that thing work. Mm-hmm. Um, just like in production, you're just like, I can see it in my head, but there's no way to pull it off right now, you know? Do you think there's still room to play for for color? Like, or do you think that it's a pretty, like, the, the rules are all, all clearly defined? Um, there's some new, like using HDR, that's kind of the new, like, well, how do we use this appropriately? Um, mm-hmm. And it's different for every show, again, supported by the story. Um, there's just going to be new technology. I think that kind of, especially with the adoption of HDR, that's just going to open up kind of the, the, the toolkit and the palette, um, for using that in interesting ways. Um, I still think that, yeah, every, every filming approach though, like it just has like, for me at least, uh, a very unique experience for just, there's so many things leading up to when you actually get into color with the optics and, and production design and story, um, that, it doesn't ever feel old um, and there's always something you can learn a different technique to try out or pushing yourself further to, to executing uh, on a look mm-hmm. um, and then just how do you mold that to fit the story is such a unique experience and in addition to that the collaboration with the director and DP there's just like no week is ever the same um, and no film is ever the same so I don't think there's ever yeah, running out yeah I don't think robots can do this job all that well um, especially when it comes down to narrative film, uh, when you're when you're evoking uh, a feeling over a technical, what is it? What is it supposed to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it supposed to feel like? Is is a, a human thing? That's a, I mean that's such a hard and abstract conversation to have. Like um, I, I, I um, a friend of mine was talking about how like the future of like with you know, like uh, phone tracking stuff, eventually there's going to be an app that you can put lighting looks on to make something look more cinematic, and that's going to totally change the world. I don't know. What, what Do you have any thoughts on that, like kind of like where, where AI could potentially take? Yeah, I think it's still going to come down to whether the robot is like you push a button and the robot gets you like samples a image and figures out how to, you know, sculpt that uh, color-wise or whatever, or even contrast-wise. It could probably do a lot of kind of analysis on that but there's still at least a gatekeeping of taste mm-hmm. that it needs to be driven uh, i don't i don't know maybe you know, probably in our lives the computers will have better taste than us but it's going to be a little while and at that point we'll just need to be on a beach all the time or something anyway we'll <laughs> figure out this universal basic income or something taste is the thing like i it's it's because it also it's a stifling conversation you can get to you can get stuck at the point of taste and the taste of, you know, people that you're working with, the taste of a client, the taste of an audience member. And, and it's, it's both in, in the line of creating something great, but it's also in line of huge disconnect of why something is considered good or bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know any thoughts on just that in general. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, it's such a subjective thing, but it's, yeah, that's, that's what makes the collaborations work or not. You have to have like some baseline of, in in taste and in trust um, um, to 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 kind of make it work i I do think it's worth calling attention to the idea of bringing i mean I would say post production in general bringing your uh, colorist bringing your editor bringing your sound designer and composer in yeah. early in the process yep. um, I mean it's something that I still 
struggle with and some of it is definitely depending on what the situation is it could be a budgetary thing it could be a scheduling thing but if you can make it work especially on a passion project that's like a long-term thing and you know you're already going to be investing time Mm -hmm. let's do it let's get everyone's opinion because they're going to be yeah a big big part of making this thing you know work there's definitely the realist of like yeah, real jobs with real budgets and kind of the the expectations that collaborators might might have in that sense. But that's yeah, the the ideal that we can both see is like the most collaborative, kind of crunched up, everybody kind of in the stew together at every phase of the process. Because I've done some things like editing films and like I think it's working. I think it's working. You send it to your sound designer, like even before maybe even lock the cut, just to like test something, and the sound designer just like makes it work way better than you could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like work with this guy Matt Tr- Tamarillo, who's just like a Swiss Army knife of music and sound design and creativity and storytelling. Like, how do we make that point land? And it's fifty percent sound. So um, definitely collaborating as much as you can with sound and music as early as you can. Uh, before you lock a cut, uh, it just will inform so much. I think that that phrase, better than you could have possibly imagined, is something that I really think about is a lot. Initially, me thinking about it with like a director and cinematographer relationship, mm-hmm. but as time goes on, I've really understood and you know still struggle to get all the pieces fitting together. But it really is true with everybody who collaborates and is a part of the filmmaking process. Yeah, I call it the peanut butter and jelly effect. It's just like these two things that get something, when they collaborate, right, like you get this amazing, like I don't know what that flavor is, but it's it's not peanut butter and it's not jelly, it's peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> um, it, any thoughts or advice on for filmmakers that just either the importance of or how you find your collaborators? Through experience, like you have to, you have to work together. You could have a chain of emails or get on a phone call, but actually sitting down in a room and uh, talking through it and working through it, that's the only way you'll find out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, when you when it works, it works, and, yeah, you'll you'll be doing it for, for quite a while. Um, yeah, I don't know if any other advice. Just, yeah, just getting in a room, doing doing it. Make it a, you know, a short project to, to test it or something. You know, you'll, you'll find them. So. Why do you do this? It's fun. <laughs> it's like the funnest job. I mean, I get to be creative with creative people, all kinds of different people, um, all kinds of different projects, animation, commercial, live action, narrative, documentary. There's just so many stories that are need to be told and are really fun to help tell them. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's a dream job. Any last thoughts? Anything else? Um, kind of want to like plug the roasting post. Like we're actually make, building a, a a website for that. That's like oh a real, really? It's a real thing. Yeah. So we got mystery flavors, we got workshop Wednesday, and then the latest thing is a uh, roasting post. So uh, a friend uh, Matt, uh, who's my like favorite go-to sound designer, uh, we just built a, a mix suite and to go side by side with my color suite, um, and uh, that's roasting post. So uh, the roast part is that we have a, a coffee roaster and an espresso machine to keep everybody fueled. Um, but yeah, that's uh, and we have an editor as well. Um, so we're we're starting to take on some some bigger long form projects. Uh, kind of soup to nuts so awesome yeah. i bet it smells amazing yeah yeah there's always <laughs> some level of coffee like i mean we live in oakland we got i'm uh just outside of jack london square um so we got you know blue bottle and uh bicycle and mr espresso and i think peerless is like the largest operation that 
at 4 p.m. every day. Whether I have the roaster in the place or not, like the whole neighborhood smells like roasted coffee. Um, so it's just kind of buying into that, uh, embracing, you know, Oakland's uh, coffee culture. So, yep. I mean, you're called French Press Film, so we're basically like a sister company. I know, right? <laughs> you, you, know, you know how this works, AJ. Sean, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, AJ. Cool. Yeah. Thank you to Sean Wells for being on this episode and being on this podcast. One of the things that really stands out to me in this conversation is asking yourself that question, both to ourselves and also to other people. What are you working on? What are you passionate about? What is that project that you are excited to talk about and share and get feedback on? I think that, um, you know, it's... I think important for us to continue to check in on those kind of projects and and check in with us for sort of that barometer of like what are the pieces that we're really excited to be working on. I think that also it's you know continuing to search for that community that um, uh, you know the artistic family is how I've heard it described uh, a lot of times and I think it's a pretty valid and and accurate way to think about it um but those people that you gravitate towards that inspire you that give you good feedback and you can you can come up with great ideas and work on projects together um, i think it's always important to have at the very least have people who can be a sounding board for projects that you're really excited about you know but aren't quite sure you know what the next piece you need is or how to continue to evolve the work that you're doing. Sean describing it as the peanut butter and jelly effect I think is pretty great too. It's sort of this idea of how when we come together and collaborate and offer, you know, our strengths for others, you know, it, it creates something that is new and something that is fresh and uh, as we talked about, something that is better than you could have imagined. So I think always checking in and looking for those people and, and making sure that you have those people in your uh, community, in your network, and in your close sort of, uh, you know, friendships is really important. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, uh, Paper Birds is getting out into the world. Um, and now we're working on a new uh, exciting project. Uh, we're producing a documentary called SF89. Uh, directed by and created by Peter Paul Hakas. And uh, it's a film that explores a, a time period and a microcosm of San Francisco and sort of in the Bay Area that isn't uh, talked about a lot. Um, so a really cool sort of look into this one time period, but then also uh, seeing how that kind of on a bigger picture, um, how that comments on and explores how we deal with change, uh, you know, in our world and as we grow older uh, and see the world change around us. Um, so please, uh, you know, it, some of you have supported already. Uh, you're following the uh, campaign on Seedens Park right now. Um, you know, please continue to, to do so and, and help spread the word if you're uh, one of the people who are also excited to see this thing uh, get made. We're, uh, we've passed uh, the 75% mark of our funding and we're getting closer and closer to our goal, which is awesome. So uh, thank you to everybody who has uh, contributed and uh, supported so far. 
please be sure to uh, subscribe and uh, follow us on iTunes and comment if you can. It's always surprising and fun to hear who's listening and, you know, if I'm at, you know, events or meeting up with people, it's always cool to hear kind of who does listen to this, uh, you know, series and, um, you know, please uh, continue to spread the word and, and uh, you know, I guess uh, follow and support and all that stuff. Uh, really appreciate it. So uh, now we'll end with our epilogue. And uh, this is a little snippet of, uh, of a more recent improvisation piece. Thank you. <laughs>